Joel, are you happy with any with all of that? Is there anything else that you want to add? No, I don't want to add anything because I'll just do my own thing anyway, I think, and just ignore all of that. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> Everyone and welcome to another edition of Films on Trial. I'm Gav. I'm Joel. I'm Dave. And I'm Austin. The Chicago Bulls, 1994 to 1995. Arsenal Football Club, 2003 to 2004. Breaking Bad episodes 47 to 62. What do they all have in common? They were incredible seasons. And joining them is the continuation of our Kevin Costner season. (laughs) Some could say the pinnacle of podcast seasons is happening right now, but let's all just try and stay grounded and stay through to the end, okay, guys? Because this week, we're putting the 1995 action-adventure film Waterworld on trial. Is it water sports or waterboarding? Essentially, will this film be placed on our esteem hit list or our steaming shit list? Now, before we go on, on like, you know, you, your interpretation of water sports, both of those are pretty bad. <laughs> I was going to say, is it water sports or is it wink, wink, water sports? But then I was like, I couldn't remember if it was actually called water sports or not. And I didn't want to Google it on my work laptop. <laughs> <laughs> Especially as it's a new job as well. <laughs> First week on the job. What's this guy been Googling? Jesus Christ. <laughs> okay, now before we go on trial, our last film on trial was Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Oh I God. judged that trial and deemed that it should be placed on their hit list. And I've since gone away and watched that film. So did I make the right call or not? No. No, I didn't. <laughs> oh, come on. Yes, you did, guys. Yeah, yes, uh, Dave, Dave, come on. Now, I, I know that a part of Dave's argument was that he was watching the film through rose-tinted glasses and that maybe by today's standards, it wasn't that great. And he was right about that. <laughs> but I think that if you were a kid and you watched this when it came out first, I can definitely understand the appeal. But as an adult watching this for the first time, it is, it's just a little naff. I know it's probably me just being a bit harsh and possibly being extra critical by, you know, judging it by today's standards. And although there were things that I really did like about it, including Alan Rickman's pantomime performance and the well-choreographed and practical action scenes, I did think it was very cheesy. And I just, I just don't know what it is. Kevin Costner was just not very good in it. So it's, considering that he's Robin Hood, he is should be the the linchpin for this film. He should hold it all together, and he was very very distracting for me. So every time he was on screen, which was ninety percent of the time, it was really annoying for me. So not an awful film. I don't think it's as bad as some of the guff that we've reviewed in the past. But I wouldn't probably put it on the hit list. Maybe at the very very top of the shit list, but probably not the hit list. I'm sorry, Dave. Uh... <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I should have watched it back in the 90s, but I didn't. I kept on putting it off, and now this is what's happened. You missed out on getting Robin Hood's, like, plastic wet air hideout that they used to have, which was just basically a repackaged Ewoks village, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) They they sold as Robin Hood's, like, Merry Men's hideout. Dave, if if it makes you feel any better, I've played with a fidget spinner last week as well, and I felt the exact same way. I just just missed the trend. (laughs) 
Now, onto the trial. All of the roles have been picked out of the hat at random. So acting as defense and trying to get this film placed on the hit list will be Dave. Now, this week we're trying something new, well, mainly because I forgot to write down some insults, but we're going to try and insult each other. So this week, <laughs> Dave will be the defense, and Dave is just like... <laughs> <laughs> this isn't working at all, is it? It's up to, it's up to you. What happens when you don't do your homework? Who got me in Secret Santa? Who gets to insult me? Come on. <laughs> I can't remember. Oh, it's me, isn't it? Yeah, right. Okay. It's me, right. So Dave is just like Kevin Costner's character, the Mariner. Very stoic, and he loves to get wet. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> and joining Dave in defense will be Ozzy. I had about 30 seconds to think of this. Ozzy's just like Dennis Hopper's right-hand man, Nord, played by Gerard Murphy. He dresses like a rock star, is a treacherous son of a bitch, and I have it on good authority, Kevin Costner truly hates him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant. Okay, now, acting as prosecution and trying to get this film placed on this shit list will be me. So I haven't actually watched the film, so I'm going to like just kind of pluck one out of thin air and say that you're like one of the just like cannon fodder minions that just gets killed throughout the film, like really forgettable. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> now, just like real court advocates, the defense and prosecution will be making the best case for their roles. These may or may not be their real opinions, though, so do stay tuned until the end of the episode to hear their genuine thoughts. Now, this week, Joel will be playing the judge, and he has to decide which list the film should be placed on the hit or the shit list based solely on the arguments put to him and not using his own opinion. Ozzy? Joel is just like Jack Black. He's barely in the film, and he could have been replaced by a robot, and nobody would have missed him. Well done. Well done, everyone. Bearing in mind I sprung this on you with about 30 seconds until recording. I think you did a great job. Sorry, Joel. I do think you're a very uh, important uh, aspect of the podcast. To be honest, Ozzy, I was expecting much worse from you, so... I I couldn't uh, think of anything off the cuff. It takes me an entire week to think of a really good insult. insult. (laughs) Those really cutting ones you've been brewing for a while. (laughs) To to be fair, Ozzy, you're the least treacherous of all of us, you know, but but, but, Kevin Costner does hate you, sorry. (laughs) Uh, now, before we get started, I think we should give the audience a bit of a better understanding as to what this film is about. So let us spin the wheel of impressions. What was that? It was a rooster. Oh, right, okay. Uh, so now what we do here is we read off the synopsis of the film in the style of one of the cast or characters from the film. This week, the magic wheel has landed on Ozzy. So oh. how would we like Ozzy to read out the synopsis? I'm thinking Hopper. Yeah, I mean, oh, man. J- James Alder Jones did the trailer. If we want to kind of scrape the barrel, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you want to do James L. Jones or Dennis Hopper? Um, let me. Does he have like a, a manic southern drawl? I definitely can't do a southern southern drawl. In in a. You can do your best sailor voice if you want. <laughs> in a future where the polar ice caps have melted and Earth is almost entirely submerged, a mutated mariner flights, fights starvation and outlaw smokers and reluctantly helps a woman and a young girl to find dry land. Very good. Mixture of so many different <laughs> and I'm just going to put it out there now, mate, there's no Irish people or... <laughs> 
um, all, all West Coast. Um, <laughs> There's nobody from Dorset in it. Yeah. But either way, that, that voice sounded like a man who's seen some shit at sea. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, sorry, so uh, without further hesitation, Joel, would you like to please kick off proceedings? Certainly, well, so it sounds like to me that this is set in the Irish Sea. <laughs> I, the film's called Water World. I imagine it's about a world of water. Does somebody want to just give Mate, a brief kind of synopsis? You are in for a real treat if that's what you think it's going to be. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Consider this the Ron Seal of films then. It is exactly what it says in the tin. The world has basically turned to water. So it's set about 200, 300 years in the future. The polar ice caps have melted. The world is flooded. Land is gone. So all that's left is like a ragtag group of survivors. Some of them go out on their own. Like you've got the uh, Kevin Costner's Mariner character, who's a bit of a lone wolf. There are other lone wolf traders. There are some that have banded together to form like modern day pirates there are others that have tried to live on these like floating settlements imagine you know fort boyard but not built nearly so well and they just, <laughs> <laughs> and they just sort of live there and exactly trade. it's, like. it's exactly what it's like is that it the, is. like riff off of the crystal maze yeah. that was yeah, set, yeah on the maze, uh, yeah. For, for anyone who doesn't know fort boyard have a quick google it was basically the crystal maze or the krypton factor but set on a, a fort in the middle of the english channel it's it's worth a look in i tell you but it's, so it's essentially yeah there's uh, groups of survivors scattered about the ocean and this plot centers on the mariner kevin costner's character who is um a mutated human as well he's still human but he's mutated to uh, develop gills which you would imagine would eventually happen in when the world has been submerged by water. And he comes across uh, one of these settlements, um, Jeannie Triplehorn, and a little girl who has a map drawn on her back, which people believe is a map to dry land. Now, obviously, this girl is therefore a figure of interest, particularly when a group of pirates uh, led by Dennis Hopper called the Smokers discover her identity, discover where she is, and that she potentially has a map on her back that will lead to dry land uh, dirt is one of the things that people trade you know anyone who's been able to find like fresh dirt or refined dirt this is like currency you know this is uh, in high value because you can grow plants what few plants people have you see tomato plants lime trees so dry land this is like you know the el dorado of water world as it were so they hitch a ride with kevin costner after their their home is attacked and it's basically about him trying to take them to dry land while being pursued by these pirates it's an action film uh with a bit of heart you know you got the uh, the old lone wolf starting to develop he he could have a family of sorts you know even if it is a dysfunctional one and uh yeah this is this is Waterworld. kevin costner at his best hey, well that sounds like a pretty unique plot to be fair Gav. i mean I had many visions in my head. Some of them were like just the big watery planet. Some of them were like it was like Die Hard, but it was set in a in a uh, you know water park. So like I just didn't really know what where this film was going to come from. So do you think the plot was interesting enough to keep people entertained? To be honest, mate, the only people that die hard are the audience having to watch this because the <laughs> plot is that shit. The film starts with Kevin Costner literally drinking his own piss, which is an incredibly apt metaphor for what the audience <laughs> is about to be put to. <laughs> now, honestly, I'll go into a bit of detail why this film is bad, but I just want to talk about the concept of the film. And it's widely regarded as one of the most expensive films ever made, but also one of the biggest flops and most plagued productions of all time. Dave said before that it's this 
big summer action adventure film. You know, it's set on water. It sounds like, as you just said, Joel, that it would be brilliant. But the tone is massively misjudged. So what should be this exciting, light, and fun film is instead dark, really serious, and overall quite depressing. You can't take a Mad Max-inspired film called Waterworld, whose main villain is a bald, eyepatch-wearing Dennis Hopper. You can't take that and make it as serious as they did. You know, there were rumors that Kevin Costner wasn't happy with the finished product and massively edited down to his liking. One can only imagine that this could have been perhaps a very fun film if Kevin Costner hadn't tampered with it. But edits and re-edits were the only issues with this film. I mentioned that it suffered many production issues. Reasons for this included on-site rewrites to the script and delays due to disagreements between the director, Kevin Reynolds, and the star, Kevin Costner. But probably the main reason for most of the production issues was the idea to shoot the entirety of this film on open water, which, you know, sounds very impressive. But there were so many disasters that came with that, including having a massively reduced shooting schedule to work around weather conditions and long delays in production due to weather, the cast and crew nearly drowning, suffering from seasickness and not being able to use the bathroom properly. (laughs) They had to be ferried to and from dry land so they could use the bathroom. These delays meant the production costs ended up spiraling massively, but it couldn't have helped having to spend so much money building these giant steel sets and making them twice as large to hide production equipment as well. They literally used up all of the steel in Hawaii just to make these sets and then had to fly out so many more tons of it so they could use it to build more. And because the runways at Hawaii airport weren't large enough to accommodate these planes carrying all of the steel, the production company literally had to spend its money to build a larger runway at Hawaii airport to fly these planes in. So you've got this massively exceeded budget. You've taken months longer than originally planned to create it. You best ensure that everything, everything else within this film is on point. But unfortunately, it is just not. The story is so generic. The script is subpar, which I'll go into more detail about later on. It takes itself far too seriously and is completely devoid of any humor. The cast, especially Kevin Costner, are incredibly lifeless, which I'll also go into detail later on. The action, although decent in bursts, becomes very repetitive and can't make up for the poor script and lulls between action scenes. And at over two hours long, this is way, way too long. In summary, this feels like nothing but a lofty vanity project for Kevin Costner, which cannot stay afloat with the incredible weight of all of its terrible, terrible baggage. Been pretty like on it with the puns and things like that this week. No, I feel like he's had uh, for someone who's just started a new job. It feels like he's had an awful lot of time to try and come <laughs> up with funny ways to make his arguments sound more credible, rather yeah. than speaking about the genuine facts. And and I just I know you're little, a fat man, Aussie. One little fact there is that Waterworld and Kevin Costner have essentially single-handedly they put Hawaii on the map in terms of tourism after this by increasing the runway. They were able to bring bigger planes. And they've increased the GDP of Hawaii, you know, several fold. So Kevin Costner is, really is basically the savior well of Hawaii. So yeah, but you know what he also could have done is given like the 175 million that he spent on the film to Hawaii as well. That probably would have benefited but, the people of Hawaii. But then we wouldn't have had them. we wouldn't have had the beauty that is Waterworld and the warning of of you know the ecological state that we're in right now. Yeah, Saved yeah. Hawaii, <laughs> eco capital of the world, and then. Uh, and then gave us this warning about polar ice caps melting. So is it true that there's a statue of Kevin Costner at Hawaii Airport now? 
I can neither confirm or deny these claims. So. Okay, so, I mean, it's still not massively clear what type of film this is. Is this, like, an action film? Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, it's, like, a post-apocalyptic, yeah. so I presume it maybe encompasses a few genres, maybe, but what's, like, the, the overriding feel? It's, it's post-apocalyptic action fantasy, I would say, is the best way to describe it. And I would say, funnily enough, I follow from Gav's argument, little bit of comedy as well you know i don't think it takes itself too seriously but we'll go into the script in a bit and i will come back on on the comedic points i wanted to talk about this film's reputation because i knew this would come up you say Waterworld to people who, who know about film and they will tell you oh it's one of the biggest box office bombs of all time that is not fair nor is it actually true if you look at a list of the biggest 100 box office bombs of all time Waterworld will not be on that list it won't be in the top 200 the reason is Waterworld is now profitable. Now, at the time that it was made, Gav is right. There was about 170 million budget. You're taking into account marketing. They reckon it's about 235 million that there was uh, the outlay for everything. You know, Ooh. distribution, marketing, the making of the film itself. Um, it took building two, the uh, Hawaii airport runway. I'm building the runway and everything else. But I'm talking about Hawaii. The Hawaiian economy did benefit to the sum of 35 million just from this film's production. Not to mention all the the steel they bought from them, all the catering and things like that. Hawaii did very well off this film. But also just to say 235 million in outlay, it took 264 in a worldwide gross total at the um, sorry, worldwide net total. No, gross total. I was right first time at the box office. This film actually made money at the box office. The problem was the cinemas obviously need to take their cut of that. Because of that, it was seen as an initially as a failure. Over the years, though as uh, home video uh, it got released on home video it's been shown on tv this film now to this day turns a tidy profit for universal studios it's still got the water world stunt show at universal studios in los angeles i've been i've seen it it's great and it also has the water world stunt show with the exploit to universal studios in china and universal studios in japan as of 2021 those shows are still running you know, more than 20 years after Waterworld came out, people are still going to see these stunt shows. And, and that's down to the action. The action is, for the most part, practical effects. There are moments of CGI, but we're talking about practicality. Uh, stunt men, stunt work, you know, stunt planes, stunt d- drivers, stunt... Um, <laughs> what's the word I'm looking for? Jet skiers. <laughs> jet skiers, I was thinking. <laughs> stunt jet skiers. You've got everything in this. These practical effects, this film did go over budget, and it's down to these practical effects. It's down to building these sets. And it was down to the desire to shoot it in open water, which, in hindsight, was a mistake. Uh, Kevin Reynolds spoke to Steven Spielberg because he said, you did this for Jaws. How did you get around it? And Steven Spielberg says, I had the exact same problems that you're reporting as having. I would not recommend anyone shooting open water. It was an ambitious project, to be sure. But the problem was... it went over budget because of these filming issues that they had. The fact that the storms hit, the fact that the cast got sick, because they had to build these big ambitious sets, these these uh, oil tankers, and shoot these action sequences out in open water. I don't think we should criticize their ambition because in the end they did pull it off. These sets look good, you know. These ships look good. Everything that they've created on the screen looks great. It may have cost them more than they wanted it to to get there. But the practical effects look fantastic. And the fact that it is shot in open water, bear in mind this was 1995, CGI is used sparingly. These days, you would not bat an eyelid about employing a CGI team to just recreate the look of open water, you know, just delete the land off the horizon then. We'll stay closer to the shore. 
that wasn't really an option. It would have looked a bit hokey back then. They did it in open water. And to this day, because what you see is what you get, there is no trick of the eye here. It looks great. The film looks good. The sets look good. The stunts look good. It cost them a lot of money. I don't deny it. They went over budget. But in the end, they did make that money back. And I think the proof of it is on the screen. The money is there to be seen. And I think we should reward ambition and not criticize it. I mean, Napoleon had a lot of ambition, didn't he? Well, that didn't end well for him. He did. And have you seen his tomb in Paris? It's, it's, the, the man is adored. <laughs> He's oh, in when Kevin as well. Costner dies, there'll be a giant, a giant sarcophagus <laughs> <laughs> set out on Hawaii, Hawaii beach or Hawaii waters. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so with a fountain. That all sounds pretty good to me, Gav. Like, I really kind of think the idea of filming in open water is very brave and it must kind of make some interesting visuals as well. Is that not the case? I mean, I'll give this film some credit. There is a lot of action packed into it. You don't have to wait long for something to happen. And although filming solely on open waters, as you said, caused so many nightmares for production, it is genuinely exciting to see big practical action set pieces set at sea, as Dave was saying. And I think that if this film was made today, it would partly be shot in an indoor water tank and then have like 80 to 90% of the rest of the action being CGI. So fair play to Kevin's Reynolds and Costner <laughs> for even attempting this. Yeah, I, I will give Dave some credit here. And I will say as well that the floating sets, although they were very, very costly, they do actually look really impressive, as does the Mariner's ship or the, sorry, what's the special type of ship he has? The Trimaran. 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 So yeah, his little Trimaran looks looks good as well. And some of the shots and the cinematography, it, 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 they all look very nice. With that being said, it does become, as I said before, pretty repetitive very quickly. Once you've seen one water chase sequence, you've seen them all. And they happen like back to back to back. Dave mentioned about the jet skis. It's like every five minutes, there's another guy in a jet ski and you're like, okay, I get it, right? You've got a jet ski. And then the final battle on the smoker's rig, it falls into the bad 90s trope of too many explosions. After a while, you're watching it and you're just exhausted. You're just like, oh my God, please stop exploding. It, it's it's just a bit too much. And it also feels that they're trying to compensate for the weak script with so many action scenes. But it doesn't work because the scenes and the dialogue in between these action set pieces are so draining. And Kevin Costner's performance is so wooden and restrictive that even if this film was 95% action set pieces, you'd still struggle to pay attention. I think that, yeah, it is ambitious, but it also isn't anything that we haven't seen before. It's just the same sort of action film, but set at sea. It reminded me a lot of, what was that one with Gina Davis that we did? Cutthroat Island. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking about Cutthroat Island. I love Island, Cutthroat as as Island. Saw, as soon as I saw the, uh, the map on her back, you know, I was thinking, no, just scrape it off. It'll be fine. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but, but that's it. It literally reminded me of Cutthroat Island. Really ambitious director who is very used to making these big, massive action films with lots of practical effects. It's set on the water, but it all falls apart because of the incredibly weak script. Well, and, and finally, Dave mentioned that there's not a lot of CGI in it, but there are still some small sections of bad 90s CGI or, or use of old school filming methods, which now appear quite dated. So they are a bit distracting when they do occur. Okay, so Dave or Ozzy, 
Gav says the action can look a bit dated. What do you think? Like, is, does the lack of CGI hold it back, or are the practical effects like enough to push it along? I think. I mean, I think if <clears throat> if anything, it makes it more all the more impressive that it is practical effects and and it's genuine stunt actors. Um, doing this you know and i read a fact that um, i think they nearly they nearly lost three or four stuntmen to the uh to the open waters so you know it's you can you can get a feel for yeah you can get a feel for sort of the the extent to the to how wildly they are you know if it was done today they definitely would have done cgi and they'd have made it you know you you'd have ended up with action sequences like the marvel franchise you know it's it's that scale of ambition uh, with these sequences, but it's you know it's tied down in in what feels like realism, you know. And, and Gav Gav's Gav's half right with the there's a lot of explosions, you know. Maybe maybe more explosions than you would expect while you're out in the middle of the ocean, but um, it, it adds to the it adds to the excitement. The action, I think, it's got a real sense of of grit and as you know, it just has an onlooker knowing you know you're aware that this is a film. The skill involved with setting that up, you know, there's a there's a huge art involved with that, and I think they 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 do it really well. It's great, it's really well shot, and it, and it's very exciting. I, I think Gav's half right is that when he talks about it, feels like action sequence, seen a bit of dialogue, chase on a you know water chase, water chase, water chase, and 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 that's probably due to the the trimming that happens to get it down to sort of the the blockbuster hour and 20 minutes hour and 30 minutes effort and i think that we probably we probably lack from not having the, the slightly longer cut uh, i read about there being um, a ulysses cut ultimately which was where some diehard fans went and found various versions of the tv ver- effort where they'd included like additional half hour of footage here and an additional 15 minutes got put on in a different one and they trimmed it all together to make the what they thought was the final cut and um, the owners of the production house liked it so much and thought that that was a better job than what was what was released originally that they they put that onto the uh the dvd uh, which was pretty impressive you know it's almost an argument to say that you shouldn't let your lead actor do most of your editing for the film <laughs> <laughs> to, to be fair if i may ozzy's absolutely right about the ulysses cut but it was three hours long. You can't release a film yeah. to the cinema that's three hours long. Definitely no, unless, not you, unless you're doing that Return of the King or some like epic that everyone's been waiting for for years. No, you can't. You can't do it. You can't uh, just put that out there. So they had to edit it, and they edited it down into a concise action film. What you may lose in, in character development, that's not what the it's not meant to be a character piece. That's not what Waterworld was designed to be. It's an action film. It's a summer blockbuster. That's what they edited it down to. That's what we got. That's what they delivered. Okay, so how, how's the script overall, or is it more of a kind of people floating about at sea in between action sequences and not much speaking? No, come on, Gav. No, I was going to say it may as well be that. It, it, it may as well just be shots of some dead wood floating on the sea <laughs> because, I mean, the story is, is the story itself is very generic. It's a post-apocalyptic setting where a lone anti-hero has to find a MacGuffin that will help the future of humanity or has to rescue a girl and fight bad guys who want the same treasure along the way. It feels like it's been cut and pasted from better films like Mad Max. It was massively lacking originality and it follows a lot of the same tropes that you would expect from the genre. Like at one point, 
Kevin Costner's character, the Mariner, has managed to um, escape the smokers that Dave mentioned before, the bad guys of the piece. And he's got Helen, the female protagonist, and then they've got this living MacGuffin, which is a, a young girl with a tattoo of where dry land is apparently on her back. And throughout, once they've escaped the smokers, I was just thinking, well, there's going to be a point where the smokers capture the girl and then Kevin Costner and then the, the woman have to go and rescue him. And that is exactly what happens. It's very, very trope filmed. Every Everything that you think is going to happen does happen. There's no originality here. And in between that, you've got the script, which is very bad. It's Watching the film, you can tell that it has gone through a lot of rewrites. Some of the dialogue feels very clunky. There's an odd blend of too much expository dialogue. For example, explaining about the trading post and who the smokers are and all about the giant, you know, human MacGuffin, as in the map to the dry lands, what that is. But there's also not enough expository dialogue. For example, who is the mariner? Where has he been? Who are Helen and Enola? What happened to the world? And actually, who are the smokers, really? We know who they are, but, like, why are they? What are they all about? Are they a cult? Why do they smoke? Why have they got a load of oil? Etc. Now, I know that there is a certain aspect about leaving plot details out to create mystique. I get that. But it feels like a lot of this was actually already filmed and then left on the cutting room floor, which has since been confirmed by the original screenwriter. He said that it was a lot more detailed. Ozzy mentioned this Ulysses cut that has a lot of this context in it and it's just been trimmed. So now it feels just like action set piece, boring dialogue, action set piece, boring dialogue. And that's it. Apparently, Joss Whedon was flown out for seven weeks to add more humor to the script, but called the experience a nightmare as so many of his suggestions were thrown out and he essentially became a yes man to Kevin Costner's script ideas. The only surviving Whedon dialogue comes in the form of a few jokey Dennis Hopper lines, which feel out of place due to the rest of the film's really dark tone. And the rest of the dialogue just feels really stilted and bland. I don't know, maybe that's because it was to do with the performances. I don't know. It feels like none of the actors had any chemistry and it creates this real chicken and egg theory. Did they have no chemistry because the script was bad or was the script bad because they had no chemistry? I mean, I think the reality is it's probably a combination of the two. I, okay. I, I beg to differ. I mean, I, I think there is just enough script in this and just enough expository dialogue. It's the same as many films of this era, you know, there's, and like I've talked about some of the little plot holes or open-ended stuff, and yes, they probably are in... The, the bigger cut and, and were removed because they're just nice to have. They're not relevant to the main storyline. And that's what you've got to remember. This is just a blockbuster film. You know, it's the same as, as every other blockbuster in terms of we know what the story is, but it's got just enough of a twist and jeopardy and, and things to go with it that you, d you don't really, you don't really mind. And I think <clears throat> there is a difference between say this and Mad Max in the, the main characters, essentially, the way they're played. You know, you've got a very energetic, sort of almost crazy hero in, in Mad Max. And in this, you've got this outsider, loner, mutant-type guy. And, you know, and, and playing it the Kevin Costner stoic, sort of cool guy way. So it, that changes it automatically. And then the other thing is that Mad Max is in a desert where the bad guys have got lots of oil. And Waterworld is on the water. Where the bad guys have got lots of oil. <laughs> so it's practically a different film, Gavin. I really don't know what you're on about from that. I'm sorry, I take it all back. You're right, Ozzy. You're right. <laughs> but no, but it, it, in all seriousness, I think this has got quite a lot of good back and forth like that you would expect from this this like era of 
of film. You know, there's a lot of. Um, I mean, Dennis Hopper for one plays this. Like that—that that is a character I think you could get tired of if it wasn't for him. You know what I mean? He's just—he blows you away in this absolutely as a baddie. Um, and and he and he is a cliche. Oh, he blows baddie. all right. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he is—he is a cliched baddie, but he's he's good at it, you know. And you've got real disdain and fear for um for, for the little girl, you know. Just say. Dennis Hopper like reminds you of Dennis Hopper from Super Mario Brothers, or mate, he is he's easily as villainous. Uh, <laughs> right. I, I can barely imagine such a thing. <laughs> this is where he thought he was going to get to by doing Super Mario Brothers. This is the the same level, but of a super superhero game. You know, he wanted to be making his family proud, and uh, you know, he, he failed in in that regard. But if his kids were alive for this. They would have fucking loved it, mate. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, so so Dave, I mean, I think I'm going to read between the lines here. I think what Gav is saying is that it would be a better film if it was maybe just Peter float, floating about at sea, but narrated by David Attenborough. Yes. That, <laughs> you know, I mean, any film is better if you just you know float people about and narrate it with David Attenborough. <laughs> <laughs> so, in terms of the the characters. Do you actually care about them? You know, is, is Kevin Costa got enough charisma to root for him? And, you know, we, we have the same argument so many times where if you're not behind the main characters, that the whole film kind of, you know, takes a tumble. So are you invested in the characters in this? Very much so, I would say. I think the script really helps the characters as well. It's not um, a lengthy script. Like I say, there's, it centers around the action sequences, these fantastic action moments that we have. But the script helps the characters. There are, there's humor in the script as well. The character of Kevin Carson, like you say, our protagonist here, the mariner. You know, Gav called him uh, before, said he was um, was very bland and stoic, and it's, that's kind of what he's going for here. The mariner is a loner. He's he's a mutant, and therefore he's despised by the humans. So that's why he just keeps his distance from them. He rocks up, he trades for a bit, he goes away. He wants nothing to do with them. So when he does get these like unwanted passengers in the in helen and enola on his boat he doesn't like them you know he doesn't want he's like right i'm just going to get you from a to b and then we go our separate ways and if you know if in the film you can almost imagine him saying and we will have no talking for the next week <laughs> while i sail us here that's almost the thing his character would say except that really would not make a very good film but he's he's a misanthrope you know he doesn't like people he wants nothing to do with people that's his character that's not any shortcomings on Kevin Costner's part or the scriptwriters. That's his character. And it's as he warms to uh, to Helen and Enola that you see his, his human side come out more. And, he, you know, the, the ice melts, as it were, not to, you know, start what <laughs> well, got us into this it. trouble in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, he's he's not wooden. He just doesn't want to speak to people. You know, one sympathizes. Yeah, uh, that's, his, think... that's his line, isn't it? He, he literally says to them, don't touch anything. I've got the boat exactly the way I want it. Yeah. Now, speaking of humor, I do like that bit where he has an argument with Helen. The way he gets revenge is he cuts her hair with, so she's got she's got long hair. He cuts her hair to make his point. This is my boat. I can do what I want. And then he sees that Enola's stolen one of his crayons and drawn on his boat. And the next thing you see is Enola and sat next to Helen rubbing her head. It's just also been cut short. You know, there's those little moments of comedy in there, which are quite funny. And speaking of comedy, Dennis Hopper, I think, gives a fantastic turn in this. You know, he's, you say he's, he's like he is in, in Mario Brothers. He's like he is in Speed. It's that level of manic 
madman. You just don't know what he's going to do next. That's the energy that Dennis Hopper brings. You know, you got the calm, uh, reserved, quiet nature of the Mariner contrasted with this raging psychopath who's got a whole gang of pirates with him. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's good. It, it makes her a good film. This is entertaining. Now, it's not going to win a Pulitzer or an Oscar, but who cares? It almost won that? an Oscar. It almost it got nominated for an Oscar for like Best Sound. But um, it, it, that's not what they set out to do. This is summer blockbuster fair, and it does owe a debt to Mad Max. Gav is quite right. But then you look at Mad Max Fury Road, there's not a great deal of dialogue in that either. And, you know, the dialogue itself, it doesn't, it's not profound Shakespearean quotes. It just gets you from A to B and on to the next action sequence. That's the kind of film it is. And that's not a bad film at all. Okay, Gav, we've, we've touched on things briefly, but performances overall... Like, how are they? I mean, Kevin Costner is, we've said it many times, he's, he's pretty hit and miss on the whole. Does he tank the film or does he save it? Oh, he tanks this film more than Lusitania. Like, <laughs> sorry, too soon. Dave's <laughs> argument there, I, I understand what he's trying to say when he's likening Fury Road to this, but Fury Road had very, very capable and watchable decent actors behind it tom hardy and charlie's theron are incredible kevin costner here i just I, the more kevin costner films i watch the more unimpressed i am by his acting abilities he doesn't really have much of a range here or at all i think he starts the film as this surly monotonous man and finishes it as a slightly less surly equally monotonous man the character is just incredibly dull Maybe that's just Kevin Costner shining through, but this should be a fun-filled action adventure set on the open waters, but he just sucks the fun out of every shot that he's in. Also, Dave mentioned there about, you know, cutting characters' hair. The character is a massive dickhead throughout most of the film, but then develops a conscience for the last 30 minutes and is supposed to forget about his shitty behavior. Now, <laughs> I know that this is supposed to be a man who has been alone for years and doesn't know how to interact with people properly, and I know that there's that Hollywood trope about grumpy anti-heroes who are thawed by female co-characters. But this was a bit much. He, he chokes Helen. He hits and he tosses around Helen and Anola. He threatens to chop them with a machete before violently cutting their hair. And then he trades Helen to be used for sex. I just thought that it was a bit much. And, you know, that's not even by today's standards. I look at classic anti-heroes like Indiana Jones, Snake Plissken, Rambo. I could go on. They don't. They have the same sort of grumpy, surly anti-hero traits to them, but they're not trading people for sex or punching women. <laughs> and if they are, apologies, I've forgotten. But <laughs> I, 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 I don't know if I'm being really picky here as well, but Kevin Costner just didn't feel like an action hero here. Whatever I said about Robin Hood before, at least Kevin Costner felt like an action hero in it. Here, he just doesn't. I don't know whether it's because it's a couple of years later, uh, but I don't know. It's it's not to do with his age because you've got like Robert Downey Jr., Hugh Jackman, Keanu Reeves. They're really credible action heroes who are much older now. It's not about appearance either because, I, you know, I believed Bob Odenkirk in Nobody or Liam Neeson in Taken or Colin Firth in Kingsman. I think it was the performance. I think he was trying to be this roguish, laid-back, sullen character like John Wayne on the water, but he just ended up looking like he wasn't asked. Also, this is a man. And this is going to sound very harsh, and I do apologize. But his hair just didn't look good. I'm sorry. <laughs> Every time he got it wet, it is the apocalypse. To be fair, no, but I mean, it just it, his hair just looks strange. And and I say that as somebody who has thin hair that looks shit when it's wet as well. But having it tied back into this weird man bun and it being wet, it just wasn't a good look. 
I, I read recently, and I don't know how true this is, but that Kevin Costner was really sensitive over his hair, so he spent a fair wedge of money digitally re-editing his hairline in post-production, which may explain why it looks so weird, but also explains Kevin Costner in this film, <laughs> concentrating so much more about his hairline than he was about his performance. Okay, so that was pretty damning, Dave or Ozzy. Like, Kevin Costner just got a bit of a bending over there by Gav and... It seems he a little did. bit like he enjoyed it maybe too much as well. I, well, I think I probably did because, you know, one of the things, you can say a lot of bad things about Kevin Costner, but in, in this, you know, he spent a lot of time on his looks. And for that, he deserves it. a lot of time and money. You know, he put $22 million of his own money behind this film because he really believes in it. And, uh, and he may have spent, he may have spent 18 million of that doing his hairline. Yeah, but it's, what a hairline. Uh, <laughs> I have to disagree like wholeheartedly, in fact, with him tanking it. The idea is this guy is a loner. He's only out to keep himself safe. And 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 that's pretty much it. You know, he's, he'll do whatever he can throughout the movie to to just be left alone. All he wants to do is get the dry land, sell the dry land, carry on with his life. That's, that's what he's trying to do. And, and he'll do whatever he wants. He's not used to people. And I think that the the scenes that get, that we've talked about before yeah they're taken out of context pretty shitty left with the context still pretty shitty but they drum home what the character is about and i think he he, he delivers it well you know he delivers it believe you know believably so that this is a guy who just does not know how to deal with other people he's been on his own for so long he pisses in a bottle purifies it drinks it you know, are we talking about Gav or Kevin Costner? Oh yeah, sorry. I was just on a, I was just in a world of my own, just ranting about Gav. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin Costner, anyway. So, but no, seriously, he's. I think he. I think he plays it with just, just the right um, uh, uh, amount of contrast between him and, and Dennis Hopper. You know, it's it's. He is, just this, not calm, but he's just a very different character, and. and He's very much Kevin Costner, you know. I don't think he didn't feel like an action hero. He felt like a loner doing what he can to survive. He's not in it to fight. That's not his goal in this, but he knows that he has to. So I, 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 I definitely I disagree. Kevin Costner may well be limited, but he's limited to this type of role, you know. We keep on mentioning Dennis Hopper like he's some sort of savior to this film, yeah, like Alan Rickman was to Robin Hood, but he's not. He's he's really bad. I, 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 to be fair, right, even after Super Mario Brothers, he's still not afraid to accept a film about a water-dwelling post-apocalyptic pirate. <laughs> he, he's probably the only one on the set who knew that this was going to be a terrible film and decided to just embrace it and just ham it up. Joel, if you thought Alan Rickman's performance as the Sheriff of Nottingham was like a pantomime villain, then Hopper's performance here must be like a circus clown. Every time he appears <laughs> on the screen, he may as well be just throwing a custard pie at your face. <laughs> But maybe it's got a few cigarettes in to remind you that he's a bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so, D Dave, we've heard a fair bit about Kevin Carson. We've heard a fair bit about Bowser now. So are there <laughs> any other characters? I mean, I, I mean, obviously there are, but what are the performances like there? I'd say there, it's, it's a relatively small cast. Obviously, you know, the world has ended and 
people have been washed out. It's, it's a fairly small cast. You've got a lot of extras in like the uh, the scenes with the smokers. They obviously have the uh, the Exxon Valdez, which which some people may remember was a ship that crashed off the coast of Alaska and spilt a lot of oil. That is the smokers' ship. They've they've patched up the Exxon Valdez. You got a lot of people on board that boat, uh, but the actual cast with lines relatively small. You got Jean Tripperhorn who plays Helen, who is the uh, the female lead opposite Kevin Costner in this, and she brings a kind of warmth to it. You know, she's she's strong, a very strong-willed character, uh, but determined to look after Enola. You know, she actually cares about other people more than she may herself, which goes in complete contrast with the Mariner, who's very much, at the start of the film anyway, just out for himself and screw everybody else, you know. So she kind of brings out that side of him, good contrast with the Mariner's character. you got Tina Majorino as Enola. Often kids can be quite precocious in the, in these sort of films it can be quite annoying i actually think she was great in this she got the right amount of of humor to it i thought she was quite a cute cute kid you know she was actually pretty good you got dennis hopper and he's got a whole band of pirates with him i mentioned gerard murphy before um who's probably the one who gets the most lines after after him um you got <clears throat> jack black in a quite a small role there as well and a few other characters you got michael jeter who we uh, we saw in Green Mile, I think was the last film of his we covered. He played uh, Del Delacroix. I thought Michael Jeter was a great talent. You know, I miss that guy. He he was superb in this. He plays kind of a he, he's developed kind of a hot air balloon to try and find dry land. You know, he's kind of an eccentric sort of figure who's trying to help Enola and Helen as well. And yeah, I, I thought he was a pleasure to watch. He's not in it much, but when he is, Michael Jeter was was a pleasure to watch. And you got finally R.D. Call, who's kind of the sheriff of this kind of outpost town, as it were. And at first I thought he was Hector Elizondo, but he assures me he wasn't. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and yeah, yeah, both of them. <laughs> and yeah, he delivers quite a, it's quite an impressive character, actually. You really warm to that character. You think basically all the people at this outpost are absolute monsters who are just uh, going to persecute the Mariner when they discover he's a mutant. And then this sheriff steps in and is like, no, this isn't justice. You pay me to keep the peace. The Mariner ends up saving his life during one of the attacks on the on the atoll. You know, it's actually quite an interesting character. You know, there, there are decent people out there. The Mariner learns that it's not just him versus the world. There are decent people who will look out for him in, in a world that's gone to shit. You know, I thought the supporting cast, although there's not a lot of them and some of them get more screen time than others, it's really your core four characters. I'd say Hopper, Costner, uh, Enola and, and Helen. And other, But I think everyone does a pretty solid job, to be honest with you. It's not the most demanding script out there. It is just to bridge your action sequences and keep the plot moving along and tell quite a simple story. But it's effective, and it gives the characters a chance to shine. All right. Well, I think I've pretty much got everything that I need. So we'll just head straight to, you know, any other business. Is, is there anything that we haven't covered that anyone feels like I would need to know to make rather than informed decision? I'd just like to point out that the film's a, a, like a little bit ahead of its time, and some of what the goal of the original director was, and I think you know, it loses a little bit of the argument, but uh, it was to draw attention to this plight of climate change in a, in a roundabout fashion, in that the ice caps melting was something that had been discussed, um, and the consequences of it was considered to be essentially the thing that's going to wipe out humanity, which is why it gave it some credence as being a reasonable uh, scenario to put people in as opposed to apocalyptic action film. So there are scenes in the that, that hint towards it being our fault that those guys are living on water and struggling, you know, and uh, 
and 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 in the wider film, they're they're dealt with in a bit more context, and there's a bit more uh, it's a bit more on the nose. But the um the final sort of scene there when they find dry land, there's like a bit of a message of hope that people will get through it and all that shit. There are touches of this which are really quite you know meaningful in amongst the action, and one of the biggest ones is when he takes her to where he finds his dry land, like literally the only place where dry land still exists. He just swims down to the bottom of the ocean because he's a fish, essentially, a man fish. And he gets the only soil that's left is deep, deep, deep below the um below the sea. And he brings it up and you know, in the commentary around that is that, you know, we're fucked. Basically the only thing that's left we we've been left with is I bring this up to the surface, um, because we we're absolutely screwed. And and the idea is that people would Google afterwards or look up afterwards. Wow, is Waterworld real? Is it possible it could happen? And 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 that's essentially what did happen. Uh, people left the movie, learned about it, and and climate change became a, a more important agenda. So while you can argue that it was a it, it was a, not a box office hit, which we counted quite elegantly, um, it also uh, helped Hawaii with its GDP and it raised climate change as a as a legitimate agenda. At the G10 summit, so yeah. Um, you, how many Costa. films can honestly say that? Not many, mate. Not many. You thought Titanic might have done it with the with the ice caps, but it didn't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this was actually the second, the most expensive film after Titanic. Oh, I think uh, it, it knocked Titanic's record off from being the uh, the most expensive film. Uh, yeah, Titanic just, knocked Waterworld off. Oh, much. did it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Just think about all the carbon emissions. And all of the oil that they burned creating this film, that probably didn't help towards <coughs> climate change, did it? So Kevin Costa, once again, trying to shove a message down our throat. I'd just prefer, you know, maybe if he gave a lecture and, and left <laughs> it, a terrible film. You know? he, may have, he may have felt really bad about that because I did read that um, Kevin Costner owns or, or is one of the major shareholders of a company that cleans up oil spills. Uh, in in the ocean, like they literally. Um, like, have you just been reading like Kevin Costner facts for like the last <laughs> month? That's pretty much what I did, yeah, because I was really upset about how he was treated in uh, Robin Hood. Um, so <laughs> I wanted to, <laughs> to to vindicate him. <laughs> so, um, go on. Oh yeah, no, I was going to say I've got a closing argument. Go on. Okay, so there wasn't a man alive who could have saved this sinking ship, but Kevin Costner's monotonous performance, coupled with the incredibly poor script an unintentionally laughable tone ensured that this film sank quicker than the Titanic. And because of the massively inflated budgets and shooting schedules and the many rewrites and reshoots throughout filming, this movie was pronounced dead by the press before it even arrived at the theatres. And just like a corpse that has washed up on the beach, when it did arrive, it was <laughs> ugly, bloated, and upsetting for all to witness. <laughs> I mean... That's a decent flourish as well, to be fair. Like, you've done pretty well this week. I mean, normally, like, I'm falling asleep at this point because you've all just bored me to death. <laughs> this is what you've happens done pretty we well this week. an episode beforehand. I know, like, it's it's amazing. All right, well, uh, I, think, I think I've got everything then. Agav, I believe you've got a quiz about worlds. So this quiz is all about films that have different worlds, and it's called Out of This World. So you guys have just got to answer 10 questions about different worlds in movies. The first one is, as mentioned before, Waterworld is massively inspired by different Mad Max films. In the last Mad Max film, Fury Road, what is the name of the similar utopia MacGuffin that the heroes are traveling towards? Um, I do not know. Very wow. simplistic. Uh, the green place. 
Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, you know, it makes sense, and I knew that. <laughs> does, it, does it make sense though? Because it it just seems really forgettable to me. Yeah, but but there's you know simplistic desert dwelling characters, isn't it? And it's a green place. A green, a green yeah. place. <laughs> when you're it's in also... a desert, that sounds great. <laughs> yeah. It's it's also as as complicated as dry land. land. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't think much thought goes into these things, but much thought doesn't really need to go into them because you know exactly what they are. Uh, now, a question two. One of Brad Pitt's earliest films was starring as a cartoonist who finds himself in the animated world he thinks he created. But what was the name of that world slash title of the film? Brad Pitt Land. Uh, no, it's not Bad Actor Land either. I know I'm wrong, but the first thing that came to my head was Who Framed Roger Rabbit. But... No, it is just like Who Framed Roger Rabbit, though. It's Blank World. Anybody got, <sighs> can fill the blank in? Um, no, no, it's no. cool, cool world. Oh, it, makes sense. it isn't a very good film, but um, yeah, <laughs> thanks guys. Is that <laughs> it's not a very good film? End of, or it's not a very good film because Brad Pitt's in it. Uh, a bit of both. <laughs> <laughs> he certainly doesn't help it. <laughs> Question number three: What is the name of the planet that the Autobot and Decepticons are from in the eighties cartoon, The Transformers? Oh shit! Oh god, man, these are these are tough. Transformer World. It's a Cybertron. Cybertron. Hasbro Land. <laughs> Not Hasbro Land. Sure? <laughs> right, okay. So it is hopefully an easy one for you. What is the name of the island that appears in the Jurassic Park franchise? Which one? There's two islands. The first uh, one. John, John Hammond the, explains this in The Lost World. There were two is islands. The, is the <laughs> Yes, there we and go. Well done. There's also well, Isla Sauna. There's also Isla Sauna. Well, I didn't research that one, Dave, so John gets <laughs> the point. Okay, so number two, sticking with theme parks. What is the name of the theme park that the Griswolds are traveling to in National Lampoon's Vacation? Oh, God. Isn't it like Wally World or something? Yes, that is right, Joel. Well done, Wally oh. World. And the last question about theme parks Beverly Hills Cop 3 is for some reason set in a theme park. <laughs> What is the name of the amusement park that the investigation takes place in? Uh, I imagine you go to an amusement park as a little kid and you look at it and your eyes are wide with what? Wonderland. <laughs> yes, Wonder, Wonder World. Well done, Dave. Wonder, Wonder World. Okay, next question, hopefully a bit easier. What is the name of the real world that the prisoners are housed within in the Matrix? F. No. Real world. Reality. Yeah. No, we discussed it quite recently. I hope it's this anyway, because this is just off the top of my head. It's it's Zion. the real world in the Matrix. Zion. Zion. Oh, Zion. Right, yeah. I get yeah. you. Sorry. Okay, but I'm hoping the listeners are having more success than you guys. I'm sorry. I mean, <laughs> yeah. incredibly hard. Okay, question number eight. What is the name of the icy, inhospitable world at the start of The Empire Strikes Back? Hoth. Yes. Well done, both Joel and Dave. Short for Hasselhoff. <laughs> is that because it's very it's a hassle of an environment to live in it is yeah that works much better than my pun that didn't have any context now number nine what is the name of the fantasy realm in the thor franchise thor, Dream, Marvel, I mean, thor. Asgard. yes well done dave asgard and last one uh, both dave real. and joel are tied <laughs> what is the name of the strange world the he-man comes from in the films on trial classic trial favorite masters of the universe Oh, God. Oh, no. I don't know. 
I want to say Mattel world. <laughs> <laughs> if something is going on for a long time. Eternia. Yes. Yeah, well, well done, done, Dave. Eternia. Right, that's it. I think Dave won that one just. I don't think there were any winners, really. No one won. <laughs> <laughs> right, thank you very much, guys. Back to you, Joel. Okay, thanks, Kev. That was surprisingly passable for a quiz <laughs> compared, to your, <laughs> compared to your usual standard. Okay, so I was quite looking forward to judging this film because I have seen it, bought it a very, very long time ago, and I cannot remember like a single thing. I just remember Kevin Costner floating about on a boat, and I couldn't remember like if that was a good thing that I couldn't remember it, <laughs> or if it was a bad thing, like it was so forgettable that it was just terrible. So I was interested to hear the arguments. And I was quite pleasantly surprised by some of the defending arguments, to be honest. I mean, Kevin Costner does seem to be a sticking point, and it, it seems to be a recurring theme with Kevin Costner films that the prosecution just goes in on in big time. Um, so I'm not sure how I feel about that. Dennis Hopper as well. I just can't get Super Mario out of my head, I feel like, because it's the same era. It's going to be like the same level of acting. And Gav kind of almost, you know, confirmed that point as well with custard pies with cigarettes in, which it sounds delightful. So when I kind of pair those two together as in the main villain and the main protagonist, it doesn't really add up to to a great story. But what Ozzy was saying, like in surprisingly for him, well-researched arguments about (laughs) (laughs) about, um, you know, what the film did for Hawaii and the kind of underlying tone is of the film and the underlying message and things like that. Kevin Costner's hairline, you know, it, it all it all added up to something that I think I actually want to watch. I may kind of regret it, but I think I am going to put it on the hit list just purely because it does sound like it'll be an interesting watch. The lack of kind of CGI, you know, or practical effects, the, the fact that it's, uh, you know, shot on open water. It might not be the greatest film, but it does sound like it's going to be a decent watch. So it's going on the hit list. I was going to tell you now, just for absolute clarity for all the listeners, I just made the Hawaii thing up. I don't know whether it did, but I just... <laughs> I, <would> just assume, <laughs> I just assumed that because they did genuinely make a bigger uh, uh, strip in order to get the planes in, uh, it's got to be good for tourism. Yeah, <laughs> so. It definitely helped. It, it did have a knock-on effect, I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, probably. Maybe not as big as you think. I don't think there's people still visiting Hawaii to this day. Uh, to be honest with you, I think, I think Hawaii was doing all right for tourism before Waterworld. I think it's... Uh, <laughs> yeah. it's like um, when the case... film was on, people are like, is this Hawaii place even real? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so genuine opinions. Dave? It's not terrible. I do think Waterworld gets a bad write-up. I think because it was so expensive. It was one of the most expensive films of all time. And it it, it didn't make its money back right away. It's not a box office bomb anymore. It did turn a profit, like I say. It's not a great film, but it was kind of... It's got just they had too much money when they what they had in front of them in the script was actually just a B-movie. If they treated it as such, this is actually a pretty good B-movie. It's better than average, you know, but it's... With the budget and the money they had, you feel they should have done something more. It's not terrible. I think it was um, 
I think the studio shot it, shot it, uh, the film in the foot, really. I, I think Dennis Hopper made a quote about this during an interview. He said, because before it was released, Universal Studios were saying, oh, God, we've gone so over budget and they were releasing all this to the press. Like, oh, it's a Universal ready for disaster. This was before the film had even dropped to the box office. People were ready to stick the knives in the water world, and they did, which is why it's got the reputation it's got. Mm-hmm. But now there's quite a few critics who are saying, you know, this, this film's ready for reappraisal now. It's not as bad as people make it out to be. It does, it does deserve a second chance. If you saw it a while ago, try it again. Try Waterworld again. You know, it's, uh, they got some overheads to, to cover. Rent the film one more time. Help Kevin out. And it's, mm. uh, and I d- yeah, it's, it's not great, but it's really not that bad either. Um, it doesn't deserve its reputation. Thanks, Dave. And Ozzy? Uh, yeah, a lot, a lot like Dave. Do you know what? There's, there's, um, I, I enjoyed it. Katie hated it. It's not, it's not for everyone, this is. Um, but I, I, I really enjoyed it. It may have been a roast tinted glasses type thing again, a bit like um, Robin Hood. But I thought it was pretty good, you know. And genuinely, I think the action scenes are big, big, bold, and uh, it's Ballsy. there's a lot of good things in this film. And, and um, I, I would genuinely be interested in watching the uh, the longer cut, if only to see how much context you get to it. You know, some of the plot holes get filled in, but. Uh, I'm not in a rush to watch the the extended cut, but um, might be one for a lad's holiday sometime, you know, late at night. Mm. Yeah, so I, I agree with Dave. And honestly, to be honest, I don't think it is that bad. I, I hadn't seen Waterworld before. I thought that I did, but then when watching it, I was like, no, I don't remember much of this. I think maybe I have when I was young and I just tried to forget about it. But it wasn't as bad as I either remembered it. Well, I didn't remember it, so it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> And yeah, yeah, because Dave said, I said, I was did a bit of research into it afterwards and it, it did sound like it got absolutely panned before it even hit the cinemas. And I think a little bit of that was because the press, well, some people within the press knew that costs were spiraling, reshoots were being done. It was going massively over budget, massively over time. And they wanted to get out and see it. And they were restricted access by the producers. And maybe they were a bit spiteful because of that. And then they went on this massive campaign where they just shot all over it and the director says that he thinks because of that the film lost about 50 million and i think yeah i don't think it is bad it's definitely better than some of the films we've seen i do think that there are some uh, well uh, there is a fair amount to criticize within it but i i do think that it was more entertaining than i thought it was going to be i do think that kevin costner is my new brad pitt though i don't don't really rate him that much at all but it was enjoyable enjoyably shit <laughs> it'd be interesting to see what you think anyway Joel because when I was watching it I was like I like it but I can see that Joel's gonna fucking hate this <laughs> 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 okay higher or lower than our previous film on trial which was Prince of Thieves uh, Robin Hood which scored 52% mm. critical and 72% audience scores on Rotten Tomatoes uh, can I go higher for critical but lower for audience I'm going to go lower and higher. Lower for critical, higher for audience. Uh, I'm going to say higher for critical, lower for audience. Well, you're all wrong. It's lower for both. Lower <laughs> just for a critical, 48%, but lower much, much more for audience with 43%. So not, not that great. Hey, guess what, guys? If you enjoyed this episode, if you like listening to us discuss a Kevin Costner film about a post-apocalyptic land where he plays a grumpy <laughs> anti-hero, <laughs> then uh, you're going to really enjoy next week because next week we're putting the postman on trial. I mean, yes, the hits keep on coming. 
Kevin Costner season will not die. We are doing the postman. <laughs> and we've picked all of the roles out of the hat at random. So acting as the judge is going to be Alex. In defense, it's going to be the Kevin Costner dream team, Ozzy and Dave. Oh, here we go again. <laughs> Maybe Did I bring it upon myself ones? that I was the defense no, for all of the Kevin Costner things? Is yeah, that you, said I you, yeah, you, all you insisted. Yeah. Are, you, are you regretting it like already? <laughs> One film in, and he's like, I mean, I feel like I, he gets a really. I'm starting to take it a little bit personal every time somebody says something bad about him. I don't know why you're regretting <laughs> it, Ozzy. We're, we're two for two on the hit list now. I mean, that is true. Do you know what? Because I think he's genuinely better than people give him credit for. He's just uncool these days, but actually, back in the 90s, that guy was an absolute legend. Anyway. Yeah, maybe like Kevin Costner is for you what The Rock is to Gav <laughs> and Sean Connery is to Alex. <laughs> And then uh, prosecution is going to be myself and Joel. So, yeah, looking forward to that one. Just to say thank you very much again, everyone, for your arguments and Joel for judging. And thank you very much to everyone who's listened. We really appreciate you taking the time out to listen to this show. If you want to hear more Films on Trial content, go on filmsontrial.co.uk. Check us out on any streaming platform or podcast platform, however you listen to your podcasts. And check us out on Twitter, at Film Trials, Films on Trial, our Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. And that's it. Warworld is surprisingly a hit. Again, Kevin Costner's on a roll. <laughs> Can he maintain it next week? We'll find out when we're going to be in your ears with the postman. Goodbye. You know, I thought of something. Waterworld may owe a debt to Mad Max, but Moana owes a debt to Waterworld. <laughs> <laughs>